0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, um, we're in week two of Lent. It is uh, the second week of our series entitled 40, where we are um, taking a journey of intentionality, uh, a journey of preparation, a um, where we tend to the things in our souls that will help us most fully experience death and resurrection, right? Um, this number 40 in scripture is often a number of testing, of revealing, of preparation, of something um, dying and something being born. some Letting go of something to receive something else. And so um, if Advent is a, sur- uh, a journey of anticipation, Lent is, the, is a journey of implication, we're waiting for, we're anticipating the light of God to come through the season of Advent. And then, because of that fact, or in light of that fact, that that has happened, then what? This is the journey of Lent. right? How do we, and, and what blocks us, what keeps us from experiencing, communing with, um, being in relationship with the, resurre- the crucified and resurrected Christ. That's Lent, and that's this series 40. So, welcome. We're really glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Today, what I want to do is journey with... Um, In the Old Testament, with a person whose life is full of 40s, 40 years of becoming and shaping, 40 years of preparation and the task of which God is called, and then 40 years of kind of doing that thing, but also simultaneously letting go of that thing. This is, of course, the person we're talking about, Moses. Um, Maybe second only to Jesus in terms of popularity, Uh, won all the contests in junior high. And uh, very, very known and and important character in the Bible. And so, uh, before we get to reading the text and introducing ourselves to Moses, an all play question. If you haven't been here before, I'll ask this question. Love to hear your thoughts on what they are, so shout them out. Um, In a sentence or two, what do you love about Moses in the Bible? What do we got? He He just gets really angry sometimes. Yeah, exasperated, throws himself on the floor like a toddler. Or an adult. What else? Yeah, it took a long time to hear what God was asking. Yeah, and not just because he wasn't listening, just it took a long time. What else? Sometimes he's not listened to. Sometimes he's not listened to. Absolutely. Anybody else? What do you love about Moses? He wasn't really a natural leader, like not very confident. Yeah, maybe not the most like. You know, uh, not in the contest, um, who's going to take over the world or lead the people? Probably not Moses picked, right? Um, Not the most obvious choice. Anybody else? What do you love about Moses? Maybe one more. We got two. Stood up for his people and? Called a friend of God. Yes, yes. Um... Disney made a movie about him, so he's got to be important, right? Uh, such a fascinating character. And we're going to scratch the surface here, friends, today. I mean, we're talking about a catalog of information and stories that is very long and, and um, in-depth. So we'll scratch the surface. We'll introduce ourselves to Moses in the text, and then we'll keep going. So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand. Elizabeth is going to read. We'll start. Nobody brings their Bible to church anymore, but if you did, it's Exodus chapter 2. Or if it's on your phone and you want to bring it up and read along... Um, Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Pray with me. God, this morning as we turn our attention to the story and the life of Moses, I pray that by your spirit you would be near us, that we would have uh, soft hearts, open eyes, open ears to hear uh, the things you may want to say. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. The church said together, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Two things, number one, if I were like listening to an audiobook, Elizabeth's voice, yeah? Man, I don't know if you'd do any of that kind of work, but <laughs> there may be a future for you in that. I just kept like, you know, I'm driving down I 80 across Nebraska listening to a book on tape, and that's the voice I hear. Um, number two, wouldn't it, I'm guessing it would be a real, real sweet deal if you got paid to nurse your own baby? <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a, that's always a, that's always a risk, you know. You when you go on, you go for one of those jokes as a guy. But uh, yeah, I just figure, where else can I make that mistake twice? Church. <laughs> it went better first hour. I will say that. Um, so uh, Moses, um, man. So here's what I want to here's what I want to do today. This passage again just introduces us to Moses, right? He's the guy who eventually leads the people out of Egypt in the Exodus story. Uh, from under the oppressive Egyptian empire. And um, in this passage, we're introduced to this boy. He's eventually called back to Egypt uh, and leads the people out of Egypt in the Exodus story. Uh, what's fascinating about Moses' life is a lot of people, when they're studying it, they re- uh, it's, it's um, broken up into three parts of 40. He lives 120 years old, according to the last chapter of Deuteronomy, we're told, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and numbers, for that matter. But um, 0 to 40, and 40 to 80, and 80 to 120, his life is broken up into some really easy 40-year uh, sections. And so in 0 to 40, right, he's formed and shaped as a child and a young man in Egypt, as a as an Egyptian-ish. Uh, then he's, he leaves Egypt, and he spends 40 years out in essentially obscurity, Um, in Midian and then finds himself at a burning bush and is called back to Egypt for the last 80, uh, from from 80 to 120, the last 40 years, he shepherds the people of God. And so I want to look at these three kind of movements as vignettes, right? And I'll just draw out one part of the story as a way of hopefully looking into this number 40, when God is birthing something in us and something is dying and being reborn or we're letting something go, leaving someplace in order to go another place or receive something else. As a way of like uh, allowing the ancient wisdom of scripture to be present to us today, that's my hope. Because I believe that there is ancient wisdom in this book and it is life-giving and worthy of our attention Um, So that's what I want to do this morning. So let's start with zero to 40. And I'll just give like a sentence in terms of what I think, uh, what I want to draw out from that season. So in the first part of Moses's life, zero to 40, I'll say, what is my name and who are my people? In chapter two of Exodus, we get a ton of information about Moses's zero to 40. In fact, arguably all of zero to 40 happens in chapter two. Um, in it, we're introduced to this baby, right? Whose mother puts him in a, in a basket. Uh, the word in Hebrew is teva. The only other time that showed up before this was in Noah's story. That's called an ark. It's the same word. So Moses is put in an ark by his mother and found by Pharaoh's daughter. Literally, overnight, Moses becomes the son of the most powerful human on the planet. He becomes the son of the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. With all the rights and privileges. And in verse 10 we read when the child grew older, she, mother, took him to Pharaoh's daughter after nursing him. And he, Moses, became her, Pharaoh's daughter, son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him from the water. So very early on in the story we learn what Moses' name means. And it means literally to be drawn from the water. Because that's actually what happened to him. He was taken from the water. And if we follow the story and we keep going, we learn that, that like, this actually becomes a part of who Moses is. Because as he leads the people of Egypt, he leads them through the Red Sea. And they are drawn from the water, out of the Red Sea, and into the Promised Land. So Moses literally like lives his name out. And in Hebrew and in biblical stories, names mean a lot they often help us understand, like, who is this person and what is it that God has put in them? What is their wrestling? What's their story? Jacob, right, means heal or deceiver, who becomes Israel, which means one who wrestles with God and people and and is not overcome. I mean, that's the story of Jacob and Israel. Same person, two different names, right? So names matter, and we are introduced to Moses and his name in this moment. If I the last three times we've had Sacred Sundays, I've had pictures to show you as a part of my sermon, and today was no, no exception. I would show you right now a picture of my dog, whose name is River. If you know my dog, uh, River is a red lab. She is boisterous and full of energy, just like her mother. <clears throat> just kidding. Uh, and River loves, 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 loves the water. Um, you've ever, have you ever seen the dock dog competitions? You ever seen those things where they like, they throw something out into the lake and then they say, go or release, or in our case, it's okay. And the dog runs down the dock and just launches themselves you know, Superman. And the competition is, which dog can launch furthest? It's actually quite entertaining. River is just amazing at this feat. But she loves water. She can swim all day long. Uh, So I have a picture of River standing on the shore of the Mississippi and her tail is like full attention, like pointing, like a lab. And in the other picture, it's my two daughters and River and I on uh, the Rush River. It's fly fishing one day. And River's just sitting there, just covered, dripping in, in with water. Because, well, she's a terrible fishing buddy. She just wants to fetch all day long. And poor Eric, who was here first hour, spent the whole day fetching so that my kids could fish. But she loves water. And she, in this one picture, she's like doing her name, right? River. Um, I'm 45 right now. And it took me a good part of my adult life to discover and lean into this question of what is my name, which is beyond what's your given name. But who are you? What is it that God has uniquely placed in you? What is like the core identity of who you are? What is your name? Being able to answer that question is a really important part of life. And um, when I was in Israel studying with a group of friends, uh, my, one of my best buddies, Steve, who's a pastor, uh, one day on the bus, he just randomly said, hey, prophet, you know, Micah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And it just kind of stuck, like, for the rest of the, the, the trip. So at any point during the trip, someone would say, hey, prophet, and I'd say, Why, well, yes, and uh, jokingly, right, it's kind of funny, and, and yet, I've, always, I've never had a hard time telling people what I think. I've always been a challenger. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I've always, like, poked and prodded a little bit. But during this trip and this season of my life, I started to f- learn and step into what does it mean to be a prophet? What does it mean to be one who, who critiques or challenges at times? What, what does it mean to be one who loves the people, Enough to, like, invite them to a different imagination of the future. What, is it, what does it mean to be a person who, who loves the people so much so that they're willing to die for their life? What does it mean to be a prophet? What is my name? Um, another person in that study, Mary, uh, has a very... You know how there are some people in life where it's like, if you ever need somebody to pray, you're like, call Misty. That was like our Laura's roommate in college. If you ever need somebody to like intercess or like see or hear on your behalf, call Mary. She came up to me after a study one afternoon in break, and she's like, Micah, I, th- I feel like I, I, have a, I have a vision from God for you. Are you open to hearing it? And I was like, let's do it. Let's get our AG on. Let's go. So she says, I, 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 I sense, I, I felt, I've heard, I saw this picture of you um, standing in a doorway holding a door open for people. And I wonder if that isn't a part of who you are. And since that day, which was probably in 2012, when we first started Awaken, I've recognized that this is part of my name. This is part of who I am. And uh, one of the most important questions that we can press into is, what is your name? What is it that God has placed in you? What is it that God has uniquely given you as a gift? Uh, an investment that, you're, that you, you are responsible for, that you have the privilege of holding. What is your name? This is, of course, the work of the Enneagram and personality inventories and spiritual direction, and, but it is deeply a part of the spiritual journey. And for Moses, we see this, the exploration of his name. What is my name? But then there's also this, who are my people then? In verse 10, we get his name. He's drawn from the water. And immediately in verse 11, it fast forwards to he's an adult. And we read, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian. Now, who is Moses? Uh Aha, trick question. He's grown up as an Egyptian his whole life. He's the son of the Pharaoh. He has all the rights and privileges. All the best school, all the best food, all the best resources. They're his. And yet, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, his own people, the the text says. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Like, and I would invite you to actually read the Bible this way, especially Old Testament narrative. This is not interested in reporting the facts, people. This person is... like beautifully telling an amazing story. And it's as if there is um, this wrestling for Moses of who are my people. I mean, think about this. In Moses exists the oppressor and the oppressed in one body. In Moses, there is both dark and light. Very unlike you. (laughs) I have a lot of material that contradicts that. (laughs) Uh, Unlike me. In chapter 2, Moses flees Egypt and Pharaoh. He finds himself at a well in Midian, out in the desert, where he meets the daughters of the priest of Midian. They have their flocks. They're gathered round. They think he's an Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian. And they're there trying to care for their flocks. And a group of shepherds come, the text says, and they try to drive these women away. And it's Moses who steps up. It's Moses who steps in, the Egyptian Hebrew, the criminal about to be liberator, (laughs) uh, the, the, the son of privilege. And what does Moses become in this moment, if not a shepherd? He looks out for the daughters of Jethro and he drives away these men who are trying to harm them. Moses, if you know, this will become a major part of the story of his life. He's a shepherd, but to who? Who are the people? For a while, it's just sheep. And at some point, when a burning bush shows up, it's as if God is saying, We're done practicing. But we'll get there. So who are his people? So a question for you this morning as as we kind of start this journey. What is your name and who are your people? And the answers to those questions may change over the lifetime, over a lifetime. What is my name? Who am I becoming? Who is it that God has like, I think there is an arrival at some level to that question of like, who am I? Of course, we're always becoming, we're verbs, just like God. But who are my people? Who am I called to? Uh, when we first started this church, uh, I, that was a journey of me like, learning the answer to that question, who are my people? Because when we first started Awaken, I desperately wanted a church that did its darndest to uh, invite people to see Jesus for who Jesus really was. I don't know about you, but I have this sneaky suspicion that many of us have been introduced to a Jesus that's completely contradictory to the Jesus in the Gospels by the church, right? And so we're like trying to unpack and take off all these layers of like, who is this guy really? So I pray, God, would this be a community that just, as much as it's within our power, would invite people and expose and, and show Jesus for who he really is, And it turns out that a whole bunch of people who really are compelled by this Jesus but aren't compelled by evangelicalism quite so much anymore are trying to find a place. They're trying to find a home. And they're like, I want to follow this guy, but not like that. And it turns out you are my people. And I've heard that story so many times. A group of people who are compelled by, interested in, like, want to know who this person is because that life is so compelling and yet, have been kicked out of, wounded by, harmed by, disgusted by previous experiences of people that bear that name. And so, here we are. You are my people. I've never never said this before, uh, and I hesitate even sharing it today, but every Sunday morning before church starts, I go in the back, and there's candles back there. I don't know if you knew that. And I I light a candle every week, and I say a short little prayer. And that prayer is, God, I pray for all the queer kids that can't find a church, can't find a home in the church of Jesus Christ, and I pray that they would find a home. I didn't know that those were my people, but it turns out these are my people too. For more reasons than you know. Friends, who am I and who are my people? When we start to get a sense of the answers to those questions, it is libertad. it's Freedom. Because you are opened up to be who God has called you to be. To the people God's calling you to be with. That's freedom. That's life. It's liberty. It's liberation. For maybe the shoulds or the oughts or the whatevers to walk it out. And in 0 to 40, this is Moses' journey. Who are my people and what is my name? As he enters this kind of second chapter, he sort of goes dark in the story. Goes underground for like 40 years. Uh, And I would would maybe, the sentence for this season is like, the seed that is sown and the question, the all-important question that gets asked. So in chapter 2, as it closes and chapter 3 opens of the book of Exodus, we find Moses, chapter 3, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. Not just reporting facts here, friends. What's the wilderness? It's a place where God speaks. To Horev, which means sword or destruction, the mountain of God. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's led to the mountain of God, which also means destruction and a sword. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced God that way, but I sure have. Like, oh, gosh, this feels like open-heart surgery here. Um, Moses, at the end of chapter 2, shepherds the daughters of Jethro, right? He steps in, and he becomes this agent of, of, of freedom and of, of, of help to these, right? He cares for them. And then it turns out, at, in chapter 3, we're 40 years later, and what's he been doing the whole darn time? He's been shepherding sheep. He's been a shepherd, following sheep around the wilderness, It's almost as if the writer, and I would argue is doing this, like plants a seed in the imagination of the reader that like, there is something that's growing here, right? Chapter two, it's just this, oh, it's just a random happenstance at a well with a couple of gals who have some sheep, but is it? Oh, no, maybe it's more than that. No, actually, 40 years later, he's still doing this work, and it's like at the end of 40 years, God says, practice is over, it's game time. Now you're going to shepherd a different group of things, and it's this people Who are in slavery oppressed in Egypt I mean I I wonder you know the, the sort of what's between the lines of the story like what's Moses thinking for 40 years you guys I'm 45 like for my whole life he's out there in anonymity in obscurity nobody knows there's nothing that's said about it for 40 years he's out there like what's he thinking is this all there is Am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Like sheep? I got my family, I got my wife. I guess things are okay. Are any of those questions real for him? Will I ever see my mother again? Will I ever see my brothers again? Will I ever see my cousins again who are are those a part of his questions? He's a real person. He's not just like some random rando on a piece of paper. One of the things I've learned about God and 40, and when it happens is that God loves seeds. God loves seeds, because what are seeds? They are this, like, their possibility encapsulated in this little thing that becomes something far larger than it is in its, in its original state, but that only works when you bury it. It's like you, you think you look at the ground, the soil of your soul, And you're like, there's nothing happening here. (laughs) It's, It's barren. And just below the surface, what is there? Everything. All the things that God is doing. Seeds that have been planted that God is tending to, working on, working with, nurturing. Why? Because this is what God is like. Either God is... Stingy, withholding, malicious, malevolent, is that a word? Uh, Or God is abundant. God is benevolent. God is, and this is what God does with seeds. So question for you this morning, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about the divine? What image do you have? And do you believe that there are seeds planted just below the surface of your soul in the soil that actually God is working with, God is up to something, God is nurturing, God is moving, God is growing, God is nourishing, and at some point when it's ready, you can't rush it, you can't fast forward it, you can't microwave it, something will pop up out of the ground and you'll be like, oh, that's what's been happening all along. Will you, can you, can I invite you to trust, walk in faith that that is true and that's what God is like. And that's what's happening in you and me all the time. It looks like winter out there. It looks so ugly out there right now, right? Some Somebody was coming to town, my, one of my wife's co-workers, she's like, oh, it's so ugly here. I'm like, I know it is, isn't it? And... What is happening just below the surface that we will see after this week? Praise the Lord. <laughs> 55 on Wednesday, oh my God. <laughs> it's like we get, to, we get to watch the spiritual life unfold before our eyes if we're, if we're open and awake. Do you believe that there are seeds that have been planted? Do you believe that God is good and that God is cultivating them even now? And if I know anything about humans in these seasons of preparation and 40, even if we do believe there are seeds, even if we do believe God is good, even if we believe God's inviting us into our name and we, to walk with our people, there will come a moment of reckoning, just like there was for Moses, just like there is for us, where we ask the all-important question of, do I have what it takes? Do I have within me what it takes to be the man That God created me to be. To be the woman God created me to be. To be the person God created me to be. Do I have that within me? And that is a haunting and very important question. I remember leaving Faith Covenant. I was at a church in Burnsville from 2001 to 2006 and a half. And I I planted, I started a Sunday night service that was the seed of this. At that church. But when I left Faith Covenant, I told God, I would never want to work at a church again. I'm done. And I, we, a group of us, started Awaken in 2010. There were four years, friends, of wrestling with God. Sensing maybe this call to do something, to, 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 to plant this thing, and I just could not face it. Because someone told me, you don't have what it takes. Words matter. Words create worlds, the rabbis would say. And that is true, my friends. You can speak death over someone with your words. Or you can speak life. Do I have what it takes? Do you have what it takes? This is a question that I know particularly as a man... And I, and I know that it resonates in the soul of many men. It's connected to our wounds with our fathers. It's connected to a whole bunch of things. But I have a sneaky suspicion that there's a version of it for the women in the room. Do I have what it takes? Can I do this? Can I, can I be this? And I just want to pause for a moment as a, ch- as a community with all kinds of people present at all places in our journey... For those of you who have spent the, the years wrestling down that question, do I have what it takes, and have settled into who God has called you to be, can I just, can I ask you for to pay attention for a second? You have a gift of gold in your possession, which is the journey and the experience of wrestling with that question. Women, men, both of you, You have a gift of gold in the wisdom that you have attained in what it means to walk that out. Please don't waste it. Please invest it. What is the parable of the talents if not this? You've been entrusted with something and there are people that you may be sitting next to today who who look at themselves in the mirror every morning and say, I'm not sure I have what it takes. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can be that thing. We need you. For those of you who are younger and who are wrestling that and looking yourselves in the mirror every morning asking, I don't know if I have what it takes. This is a place, a community, where you're not alone. So let's be community. Let's be with each other in this. There is wisdom and there are people who are further along and not as far along. So. Who are we pulling along, and who are we looking to, right? That's discipleship, just in a nutshell. There's my book. You're welcome. It's 1999. Not the year, dollars. <laughs> yeah, Venmo at Micah Witham. with uh, them. So Moses, it, 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 it's just like, it's so beautiful. It's right there in the story, like The seed is planted. He is a shepherd. He's been called to be a shepherd. But he's asking, like, do I have what it takes? And then in the final chapter, he sees God at a burning bush. He's invited to go and get the the Israelites out of Egypt. And in the last 40 years of his life, he spends it doing the thing that God's invited him to do and be. And simultaneously, a very long letting go. What do I mean by that? In Numbers chapter 13... The Israelites have come out of Egypt, Moses is leading them, they get to the edge of the promised land, Kadesh Barnea, and they're invited to go into the land, that God will go before them and will, essentially, will open up the land to them. Actually, without violence was the original plan, it's in the Bible by the way, they didn't have to go in there and kill everybody, but that's another sermon for, maybe a lost in translation, yeah? Yeah. How how could the land have been taken without blood? That's a fun one. So they're on the precipice. They're right there, Kadesh Barnea. Their knees are shaking. They're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. They've been led. It's only been like two months since they left Egypt. They send in 12 spies. Ten of them come back, and they're like, no way, y'all. We will die. They are huge, massive. There's no way we have a chance. Two of them say, let's go. We can do this. God's on our side. And there is a moment of decision, right? It's the Rubicon. And they have a choice. They could have gone into the land right there at that moment. They didn't have to wander for 40 years. A whole generation didn't have to die. But they failed to trust God that God would go with them and be what God said God would be. And so what does God say? No one from this generation will enter the promised land. And so from that moment, they wander for 40 years in the desert. Moses' life as a leader of the people most of it is spent wandering around in the desert with a group of people that he's led out of Egypt that all have to die before they go in. It's 40 years of letting go. Think about that. Up until Numbers 20, later on in the story, when they're about to enter the Promised Land again, we don't know that Moses isn't going into the land, but we do know that the people are not. So for 40 years... Moses is presiding over funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral funeral of his friends, his relatives, his buddies, his pals. Have you ever done something special with a group of people and like made memories together? And then you look back and you're like, oh, do you remember when? That was awesome. Imagine being liberated from an oppressive regime and then like living like 40 years of letting go. Sometimes these people become like flannel graph. You know? They're two-dimensional. And we think like, oh wow, they wandered around the desert for 40 years, a whole generation died off, and then they went into the promised land, and then Joshua came, and then the spies, and then the Just stop for a second. Think if you were him. These are your people. I can't imagine if over the next 10 years or 20 years I had to let all of you go for a new generation of people to to be called awakened, to like say goodbye to all of you. Can you imagine that? The spiritual life is a lot of things, but it is at least this one for all of us. The art of letting go. In Numbers chapter 20, we find Moses, and I'll close with this. This is such an amazing story. Numbers 20, Moses is with the people. They're about to go into the land again. The whole generation of people have died. Almost 40 years has passed. And the people are angry. They're grumbling. They're complaining. Right? That gene passed on. <laughs> so they're like, oh my gosh, we're so thirsty. Oh. And Moses and Aaron are just, they, they've had it. They're exasperated. They throw themselves on the ground. And they're like, Lord, what are we going to do? And uh, they, it says in the text, number 20, God says to them, take the staff you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly and speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now, does anybody remember? We've been here before, right? This is a repeat of a story. So exactly the same situation. Early on in the story, when they come out of Egypt, the people are like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. Oh, we're thirsty. And Moses, God says, take your staff, the one I gave you, the one that was a snake, but now is your staff, shepherd's staff. Take your staff, that's a great story, by the way, Take, Pick up the one thing that scares you the most, the snake, which is actually your identity, and, and learn to live with it, live in it. Oh, my gosh. Bow. Take the staff, strike the rock, and water will come out. So that's what Moses does. And then, 40 years later, they're at the same spot, and God's like, take the staff and speak to the rock. Keep following in the story, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. Just as he commanded him, he and Aaron gathered the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said, listen, you rebels. <laughs> Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock again? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. And what happens next, like, rabbis to this day debate what is going on here. Why? Seems really petty, punitive, like... The Lord says to Moses, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you, Moses, will not bring this community into the land I gave them. I'd be like, I object, your honor. you got to be kidding me. Forty years I've been faithful with these crooked-necked, stiff-necked, obstinate people, your people. I've been faithful. I've walked with them. I fed them. I led them. I clipped them i bathed them i prepped them they're ready and now you're telling me i can't take them into the land because i struck the rock and didn't speak to the rock this is a joke right this is like a big cosmic divine joke no it's not it's not a joke and so many people are like well yeah moses disobeyed don't disobey god duh (laughs) like really that that's it others are like well yeah Moses and Aaron—they threw themselves on the ground, exasperated. They didn't trust that God could do what God could do. Don't, don't be, don't just trust God. Duh. I think those are really inadequate. This is a big deal. I wonder if this isn't about sin or disobedience or disappointment at all. As much as it is about a moment of rel revelation and illumination a moment of clarity about what is needed and what's necessary for the next generation when the people left egypt they were slaves and so strike the rock moses cuz that's how you deal with slaves that's that, a slave would know you don't you don't debate with a slave you tell them what to do you 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 force them to do it you You strike them. That's what, that's how you, that's slavery. This is a whole new generation of people who were born in freedom. And what you don't do with free people is strike them or dictate to them or demand things from them. You lead them, you speak to them. And is this just a test? to reveal what is in Moses' heart, which according to Deuteronomy 8.2 is exactly what a test is. And it turns out, God, the gracious God that God is, invites Moses to step into. Moses, do you have it? Like, can I trust you to lead the people here? And this isn't about sin. This isn't about disobedience. This is, this. I, I would argue this is a moment of clarity and of revelation that what's needed and necessary is a new leader, And the letting go of one to another. And it turns out, Moses knows it. In Numbers chapter 27, he prays to God, would you appoint a leader to lead the people into into the land so so that I can see them? And it also turns out that God doesn't withhold the promised land from him. In one of the most stunning stories of all the Bible, last chapter of Deuteronomy, he sees it. Like, with, he says, it says that Moses dies on the mouth of God. God gives him everything. This isn't about that. Friends, I say all of this to say, if I know anything about 40 in my own life, there is always the work of letting go nearby. And this is no easy task. How do you let go of the dream that you had for your kid? that is not coming true? How do you let go of, the, of the, the life that you thought you were gonna have? The direction you thought this was gonna go? The job that you once had? How do you let go of the parent or the loved one or the brother or the sister that's now gone? How do you let go of power and authority when it's your turn to let go? And friends, we make a mess of this all the time. We hold on for too long We grasp, we're scared, and we just clutch it like till our dying day. And it doesn't have to be that way. Part of the spiritual life is learning how to be grounded and strong enough to bear the weight of letting something go when it's time to let it go. So I would invite you this morning, what is the work required in letting go? What kind of heart is needed to let go when it's time to let go? When your authority, your power, your ministry, your leadership, whatever it is, it's time to transition it and give it to somebody else. How do you do that? Because it's coming for all of you. (laughs) Either in death or in some other transition, of which there will be many. The last thing I want to say is the, the second question in the Bible is God wandering the garden and he says to the humans, where are you? And so I would just say that to you this morning. We see in Moses a whole le- a whole life. The, the gamut. Zero to forty. Who are my people? What is my name? Forty to eighty. In obscurity. A seed that's planted. A doubt. A, a question that rises. Do I have what it takes to do this? And then a whole 40 years of leading and letting go. Where are you? Pray with me if you will, and I'll give you just a moment to sit with that question. God this morning as we tend to uh, this journey of Lent and we take a moment of silence long enough for maybe our souls to come out of hiding. I pray that you would that there would be like one note that we hear ringing like a tuning fork that we would lean into, that we would move towards wherever we find ourselves in this journey. These these seasons of 40 where you're inviting us to let something go so that we can receive something else, for something to die so that something can be born. A season of preparation and revelation, illumination of what's in our hearts so that we can be and step into the people that you've called us and made us to be. So Holy Spirit, move, speak, nurture, care for, call our names, I pray. My friends, it's good to be together. My hope and prayer is that you leave today with some nugget of wisdom, some pearl of great price from this story which I also happen to believe is the word of God, the revelation of the divine to you and for you. So know that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you Wednesday, hopefully. online at www.awakeningcommunity.com, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken Community or on Twitter at awaken Community. See you next time.